Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, <clears throat> for summer, this summer, each week, we are reading one of the Psalms of Ascents together. These are the Psalms that are collected from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Uh, and we call them what we call them because that's what the script above them says, that it is a song of ascents. And no one knows uh, exactly what that means, but there's this general agreement that they were songs that were collected together for pilgrims to sing as they made their way to Jerusalem, or maybe once they got to, to Jerusalem for one of the yearly festivals. They are uh, songs for the road, songs for pilgrims making their way. And that's how we've been reading them, as songs for our journey together as we follow behind Jesus. So we just sang Psalm 123, and now we'll read it together. You can follow along in the order of worship if you'd like, or you can just listen as I read Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word uh, that we have read and heard together. We thank you for the simplicity of it and the beauty of it. And we ask now that as we uh, think about it for a few minutes and talk about it together, that you would meet us. You'd meet us all uh, in exactly the places where we are. Those of us who hear this cry for mercy and we, we feel it so deeply because we are saying it right now. Those of us who maybe don't feel that now but know that we will or have. Father, meet those of us uh, who aren't even sure what it is we think about you and what you have done for us. Meet all of us and show us the grace of Jesus, the pilgrim who went out ahead of us. Change us by it. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, the other day uh, I was grocery shopping in the evening and uh, I stopped pushing my cart at one point to look down uh, at my grocery list, which was on my phone. So my head was down. And as I was looking at it, I, I sensed another uh, cart pulling up uh, beside mine, kind of really slow and uh, deliberate. And I tried to keep looking at my phone, but then I just had this sense that whoever it was uh, who had pushed that cart and, and stopped it a little bit in front of mine, I had a sense that whoever that was was looking at me. You know how you get that feeling sometimes? So slowly, uh, I... Uh, looked up from my phone and sure enough there was this older guy and he was staring at me. Uh, it wasn't an intimidating scare, stare, it was, a, it was a kind stare with a smile and even a little bit of sparkle uh, in this guy's eye. And then, uh, and then commenced the waiting period. <laughs> I had a pretty good idea that I knew what was going on with this guy but I was not going to be the one to say it first. 
So what I did is wait. I waited, and I smiled, and I waited, and I kept my eyes on him. I felt like I waited for a minute or so, but I'm sure it wasn't more than three or five seconds. And then finally, uh, he broke, he kind of laughed, and he asked me a question. He said, do you know what I'm thinking? And I said back to him, yeah, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking I look like Kenny Rogers. <laughs> and that is just how it is, church. <laughs> From certain angles, in certain lights, to certain people, in certain places, I look a little bit like late 70s, early 80s Kenny Rogers. If you don't know who that is, you can look him up later. I've come to accept it, and I have come to accept that a lot of people who are 10 or 20 years older than me like to tell me that that's what I look like. They can't resist it. So, so I have learned to wait for it. <laughs> well, when I said that to him, we both started laughing so loud that I'm sure the other uh, shoppers were wondering what it was that was going on. It was actually a pretty joyful moment, big dopamine hit. He reached out, we shook hands, we laughed together some more. And as I was walking away, he, uh, he loudly serenaded me with the chorus of Lady, that great hit from 1980. I would have personally chosen The Gambler, but you take what you can get. I'm glad that I waited on him. And church, this song we just read together, it's a song about waiting. It's a song about waiting sometimes for a really, really long time. But of course, it's not about waiting in a, in a grocery store for somebody to tell you what, who they think you look like. It is a song about waiting for mercy. As the psalm puts it, our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Every one of us in here probably knows what that feel like, feels like. I bet some of us are feeling it right now. There are times in our lives, times in this journey times in this pilgrimage as we follow Jesus where we would really like to catch a break. We could really use some relief. We could really do with just a little bit of rest from trouble. And this song is about waiting for mercy from the only one who can really give us a durable mercy forever. And it starts... It starts like a couple of, of the other songs of a sense that we have read together started. It starts by talking about our eyes and, and where and to whom we should raise those eyes. This is a really, really important thing in Scripture, an important image. It reflects something that is just true about humans everywhere and in every place, no matter what they believe or even if they don't ever think about believing at all. It reflects this truth that we move towards the things that we look at. We move towards what we look at. That's just how we work. That works, uh, that works physically, of course. One of my girls, Cora, is uh, learning how to drive. She's doing a great job, better, way better than I did at her age. And a couple times now when I have been in the passenger seat of the car as she's been driving, I have found myself repeating that sage wisdom that I and every other person who's ever learned how to drive has heard, and that is that the car is going to drift where you're looking. The car will move to where you're looking. Same thing for bikes, same thing for strollers, same thing for our bodies, just walking down the street. 
So it works physically, but it also works uh, on a more fundamental and interior level too. When we desire something, when we love something, when we want something, we look at it. We, we lift our eyes to that thing. And whatever that thing is, whatever those things are, we inevitably drift towards them. We start aiming the journey of our life at them. That's just how humans tick. There's no way to get around it. That's just part of the hard wiring. That's how we work. And that's why the Christian faith has always taught from a very early time that it's really important for us to get our loves right. That's why the Christian faith has always taught from a very early time that it really matters how we order our desires because our pilgrimage is going to drift towards those things. It always does. Our journey will always drift towards the things that we're looking at. The way Jesus put it was, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart, you know, who you really are, it's always going to journey to what it loves. So we'll talk about this more in a minute, but I hope that it was clear enough just from reading the last couple verses of that song that it obviously came. This song was obviously composed from hearts that were heavy, hearts that were troubled and tired because of what was going on around them, and maybe more importantly, from what was happening to them. And in that situation in life, in that situation, in that part of their journey where the people really wish they could catch a break, the psalm writer makes a choice that orders everything else. That's what that opening line is about. To you, I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. In whatever turbulent thing, whatever troublesome thing is going on, there's this choice that gets made to lift their eyes to the place where they know relief can come. The Father who sits enthroned, which is another way of saying the Father who is in control. And I think that opening line, church, I think it's a compelling invitation and a beautiful invitation for me and you too. It's not some pie in the sky thing. Believe me, please hear this. It's not some pie in the sky thing. God's people aren't lifting their eyes up to him because they're trying to act like the trouble isn't all that bad. They're not lifting their eyes to the Father who sits enthroned because, you know, it's not all that bad anyway and it doesn't really matter. I hope no one, I hope nobody ever tells you that that's what the Christian faith teaches about trouble because it's just the opposite. They lift their eyes to the Father precisely because it is as bad as it is. They lift their eyes to the one who is enthroned precisely because it matters so much. Because they want some relief. And they want some mercy. And I know that that is a hard thing to do. I know that when there's trouble, the easiest thing to do is to get real focused on that trouble. I know. It's easy to get a little obsessed with it and to talk about it and to perseverate on it and to ruminate on it. Church, it, it's easy. It's easy to situate the trouble as central in our lives. And I know that it's easy to do that because I do it a bunch. And maybe you do too. The hard thing is to lift our eyes to the one who is enthroned from the heavens, to break that stare to our trouble and lift our eyes up to the one who is enthroned. Because even if we lift our eyes just to yell or to cry 
or to pray broken, jumbled, halting prayers that don't even make sense to us, even if that's all that we do. I'm telling you, church, it's the right thing to do. Because when we do that, our pilgrimage gets back on track. (laughs) Our journey gets to drifting again in the right direction. Because when we lift our eyes to the one who is enthroned, we are moving towards the one who is the only source of the durable kind of mercy that we really need. And he is good for all of it. He's good for your yelling. (laughs) He's good for your crying. He's good for this beautifully composed song of lament like the one we're reading. You know, maybe sometimes all the strength you can muster in trouble is maybe sometimes it's just to read this psalm or a psalm like it. And I'm telling you, he's good for it. He's good for all of it, and that's the truth. So before we we talk about this beautiful metaphor in verse 2, I want to talk a little bit about the trouble that they are facing It gets sung about in verses 3 and 4. Why are God's people asking for mercy? Why do they want to get some rest? It is because, as they put it, they have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. (laughs) That is some heavy stuff, for sure. None of these psalms uh, have a date stamp on them, so we don't know exactly uh, during what trouble this song was composed. A lot of people think it reflects the time when God's people came back home from being exiled for years. They come back to a bunch of ruins, and the land that was good was occupied and run by other people. They come back weak, and they come back tattered and unsure. They're home, but they're not really home. They come back under the ruling shadows of other kingdoms and empires. I don't know. But I do know the universality of this feeling of contempt. I mean, lots of things can hurt us. Lots of things do hurt us, church. But contempt breaks the skin. And it goes pretty deep. In his uh, comments on this passage, John Calvin writes that nothing inflicts a deeper wound than contempt. I agree. Sometimes I feel like contempt is the wound that's, you know, like underneath the wound, the one you can't see and get at. At some point in our journey, we've all probably been the object of that, right? Maybe from some kid at school. Maybe from a friend who turned on you maybe from a parent. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about the contempt with which God's people, Christian people, are just sometimes viewed in pockets of our culture. And listen, I know sometimes Christian people get knocks for stuff that we should get knocks for, stuff that we should repent of, stuff that we should definitely ask God to weaken and remove and all of his people everywhere. But there are some things about being human and and what it means to live well as a human that Christians have always held to that are increasingly being pointed to as harmful things or regressive things. And the holders of those beliefs, they become objects of contempt. Our view of what it really means to be free, for one thing. Christians... Christians have never believed that freedom means being released from all constraint as long as you don't hurt someone. 
That's not what we believe. We believe that all freedom is, is a moral freedom, that all freedom is a complex and expansive and beautiful freedom that is held in place by the love of God and neighbor. That's what we believe. We believe that true human freedom is a freedom that is ordered under the love and rule of God and that living in this way leads to the good and flourishing of every human being. And this means that there are things that we're going to choose to say no to, even if no one else would be obviously hurt if we said yes. And that way of living and being in this world, church, I probably don't need to tell you, sometimes it's viewed with contempt. And I want you to know, God's people have never been strangers to this. <laughs> we may not know exactly what God's people had in mind when they sang this song, but that is one of the beautiful things about these songs that we have been given that are called the Psalms. There is nothing in these songs that we don't feel at some point in our lives, nothing in these songs that we don't know, nothing in these songs that we don't want to pray at some point in our lives. And there are times when we'd like to catch a break, when we could use some relief, when we could use some rest from the trouble. And this song is an invitation to lift our eyes and wait on God for mercy in times like that. And this brings us back to that doubled image in verse 2. It's so beautiful, this simple portrait of what it looks like to wait on God. What does it look like when people like us wait on God and watch his hand? Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. I think at least part of the reason the psalm writer chose this metaphor of mistress and maidservant is to highlight the relationship that people like us have with God. Some people might start by looking at it as a power differential, but I'm not sure that is the, the best way in. I mean, for sure, <laughs> for sure there is a power differential between us and God. If we believe anything about God at all, we, we definitely believe that, that he is God and we are not. And I think that should make us glad, church, because if God were someone we could push around or if God was something we could unlock like a puzzle, he surely wouldn't call out our worship and adoration and thanks. I'm not sure he would call out much in us at all. But we're not his boss. <laughs> and we can unlock him and direct him to do whatever it is we want him to do whenever we want it. And that gets at what I think is a good way into this image, this metaphor. I mean, there's lots of reasons a servant might look to the hand of his master and just wait. But there's only one that's intended in this psalm. There's only one thing that that servant is looking for from his master, and that's some mercy, some provision. Some good provision from the only one who can give it. When we lift our eyes and look to the hand of God for mercy, church, listen to me. We're not twisting his arm. We're not manipulating him into doing something he doesn't want to do. When we look to the hand of God for mercy, we're just waiting on him to promise to do what he's, prom to do what he's promised to do. Church, God means good for his people. He means good for us. That is the truth of Scripture from the beginning to the end. He means good for people like us, and he does not care what it costs him to give us that good. 
And if you hear that and you wonder if, that, if that's really true, if you wonder if that could possibly be true, maybe you want to dare to believe it's true, then all I can say is look at the cross of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus' cross is the fountain of mercy. For our sins first and then for all of the wounds and then for all of the contempt and then for all of the broken and fractured things in the whole created order. Behold, Jesus said, I'm making everything new, everything. And the pilgrims who sang this song first, they, they didn't really know fully. They couldn't possibly have known fully what mercy from God's hand would look like and how it would be accomplished. But we do because Jesus showed us in his cross, in his resurrection, in his ascension. He is the pilgrim who made this journey first. He is the pilgrim who walked this road ahead of us and he did it in love and he did it for us because he means good for us. Like we heard in the New Testament lesson, this pilgrim knew scorn. <laughs> he knew contempt too. This pilgrim endured unfathomable trouble, the unfathomable trouble of his cross. This pilgrim waited on the Father for mercy too. He waited a long time. He looked at the hand of God when he needed relief. This pilgrim journeyed ahead of us for the joy that was set before him, and that joy was us. And he journeyed ahead of us so that we don't have to grow weary and we don't have to grow faint-hearted as we wait for mercy until the end when he finally brings us safely home. So, as the book of Hebrews says, look to Jesus for the mercy that he gives to people like us. Look to Jesus. Look to him in all the ordinary places where he says he will show up. There's no trick to it. There's no secret mystery about where we look to Jesus. We just looked at where he said he was going to show up in scripture, in worship, in our service together for the life of the world, <laughs> in the sacraments, in prayer, and in the faces of your sisters and brothers in the faith. Look to him and join in the ancient song of God's faithful people. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. Church, he's good for it. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would uh, do using whatever means you see fit and whatever you have at your disposal to help us to be a people who keep our eyes trained, who keep our, our loves and our desires trained on the one who loved us first. Father, help us to look uh, to Jesus as we wait for mercy when we need it. And we join in that song, have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us. We will keep our eyes on you until you have mercy. Father, make us into a people who can say that and sing that and pray that and mean it fully deep down into who, who we are. We pray that you would do that so that we would uh, grow up and mature in our own faith and so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray it in the name of Jesus the pilgrim who went ahead of us. Amen. Mm -hmm.